All right, kids, pre-K through first grade, it's time to go to Elevate. If you have a pre-K through first grader and they would like to go to a children's church time, uh, go toward Miss Courtney in, in the spotlight over there. If this is your child's first time to go to Elevate, if you could walk over there with them, this gives us a chance to uh, put a name with a face and it helps our volunteers. And if you volunteer regularly in the preschool and kids area, let me say thanks and thanks and thanks and thanks again. Thank you for what you do to, to serve in the area. We have incredible people serving in that area, so we're so thankful for that. Let me check. All right, it looks like we're just a couple of minutes uh, from going to, to our video. I'm going to try to look upstairs and see those guys. Hey, if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, because Matthew 18 is where we're going to be here in just a a few minutes when we get to the time for the sermon. There was a little half sheet of paper, some notes that you might have got as you you came in, and so you can look at those as we go through this. Just going to watch for text messages coming in here for a scene if this works out, but let me set this up again for you so you'll be aware of what's happening. Our church partners uh, with a gentleman named Farshid, and many of you have heard him share on Wednesday nights or in different situations, but he ministers to Farsi-speaking people, uh, many of whom are in Edmond area around the UCO campus, but also here on the south side of the city, connected with OU and then other places down here, and more in Norman, and ministry to people who might come from a, from a Muslim background. But he also has an incredible online ministry, uh, a lot of it through Facebook. And so we partner with Henderson Hills Baptist Church up in Edmond to be able to support Farshid and then also to be involved with some, uh, some ministry that he's doing. If I'm on. There we go. Can you send me a text about... Test. Oh, there you go. Hey, Owen, the voice we, of God speaks from above here is Jim Liu. So. We, we lost uh, connection during that, so our, our uh, uh, feed dropped on us, and so we, we missed it. Uh, so he's recorded it. We'll share it with the church, and basically just continue to pray for this gentleman who was in Tehran and uh, administer baptism there in a private location uh, for this man. So. All right, well, we will get access to that video and be able to show that hopefully next week. All right, there we go. All right, let's move to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 15. Matthew chapter 18. Starting in verse 15, here's what God's word says there. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let's pray together, Emmaus, before we get into these 
really important verses. God, we celebrate your work in this gentleman's life. God, we thank you for Fasheed and the ministry that he's able to do. God, we thank you for the way that the church is growing in so many places around the world. God, thank you for that expression of faith. God, I pray specifically right now for anyone in this room, God, who has never confessed their faith in Jesus Christ, who has never displayed that through baptism, God, I pray that even in talking about this this morning, God, that, that you would use this, God, that you would draw someone to faith in you this morning, thinking about what it was for that man on the other side of the world to put his faith in you. God, I pray that if there are believers in here who have been private about their faith, who have held back from being baptized as followers of Christ, God, I pray that as a result of this service today, that you would draw people to baptism. God, you would draw people to live out their faith with a new courage, with a new determination, with a new focus. God, let us not waste this time together. God, let us hear you speaking to us in a fresh way through your word. And God, more than that, that our hearts would be ready to respond. God, that we would take action based on what we see in the Bible today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when Amanda and I uh, moved to New Orleans after getting married, uh, so this would have been January 2005, we moved to New Orleans. One of the gifts that the Lord gave us when we moved there is that we were able to get connected with a little neighborhood church not far from the seminary in New Orleans, a church called Edgewater Baptist Church. Now, Edgewater is a phenomenal church. Edgewater is not a good name for a church when your church literally goes underwater in Hurricane Katrina, so we had to live with that joke way too many times. But we were there before and after Hurricane Katrina, but Edgewater was a church that was so instrumental in our lives, especially as newlyweds moving to a new place. And uh, this realization that don't really need to be in a place as a pastor until you've lived fully as a good church member. And so we just kind of put ourselves there as church members, and God did some neat things to that church. One Sunday morning, I showed up to church, and another gentleman there in church said, Hey, Owen, can I talk to you about something? And so he kind of pulled me off to the side as we were walking into church, and he said, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. I heard that you weren't in church last Sunday morning. Now, the backstory to this is that one of my best friends in seminary was about to be deployed as part of the Marines, as part of the military, and he was getting ready to be deployed, and we had connections, but one of our main connections was around golf, and so we both love golf, and there is a PGA golf tournament that goes through New Orleans every year in the spring, and so my friend, who was about to be deployed, had gotten tickets to go to this golf tournament and said, hey, would you want to go with me? It's our last chance to spend time together. We'll be able to do this and go around. And so, so we went together and did this. Well, this other gentleman in church had heard that we had done this, and so the next Sunday morning, he pulled us aside and said, hey, I heard, heard you weren't in church last Sunday. I thought we had made a commitment to be here unless there was a good reason not to be here, and, and I'm not sure that your reason for not being here last Sunday was a good reason. I said, man, thank you so much for, for sharing. No, no, no. <laughs> That's what I wish if I had that experience to do over again, I would have said. 
so, you know, if somebody speaks into your life about something like that, your body temperature goes up, your blood, blood pressure goes up, you get defensive phrases like, who are you to say X to someone like me start to come to mind, and oh, man, and, and I had to look at myself and think, why did I respond that way? Now, this guy, he didn't know the whole story, he didn't know everything going wrong, but but he had seen something that didn't seem right, and he spoke into my life about that, and, and it was hard to receive that. Why do we struggle in those situations? Why do we struggle when someone speaks into our life something to do with our soul? You know, one of the reasons we struggle with that is because we live in an extremely individualistic culture. Now, this is not the only reason, but let's just acknowledge a few reasons up front. We struggle because we live in an individualistic culture of you do you, I'll do me. So you, you take care of you, I'll take care of me. Let's not get in each other's business unless it's something really petty. Then we'll get in each other's business. But let's not get in each other's business about something substantial. You do you, I'll do me. And, and we live in this individualistic culture that says, no, I don't want you really speaking into my life about that. Also, there's a part of us that just feels like uh, maybe a little bit of growing up in the South, I go to church, therefore I'm a nice person, therefore I don't judge anybody. And, and we don't want to be judgmental. But let me remind you that if you see someone walking toward a cliff, or you see someone about to run out into the road in front of a car, it's not judgmental to pull that person back. I don't, I, I don't want to bother them. I'm just going to be nice. I'm going to let them do their own thing. And let them. That's not nice, is it? No, no, like that's, that's the most... Terrible thing that you could do in, in that situation. Not long after I got on staff at Emmaus uh, four years ago, not long after I got on staff, I went to work, staff meeting day, interacted with a lot of people, got home after the day, and Amanda looks at me and says, hey, did you know that your sweater is on backward? <laughs> and it was a V-neck. No, it really wasn't a V-neck. <laughs> I just have to tell that every time I tell the story. No. I had worn my sweater backward the entire day and didn't realize it. You know who didn't tell me anything about that? Everybody that I act, interacted with during the day. No one told me. Now, they told each other about it, that my sweater was on backward. Nobody told me that my sweater was on backward all day. It's one thing to protect someone from harm, and it's one thing to protect someone from embarrassment. But can I remind you, we're fighting for even a higher goal that we have been called together around the glory of God to show his glory by living holy lives, by displaying that to the world around us. We've called to advance the gospel by speaking about the things of Jesus, about the things of the gospel, and sin is destructive to that. And we are in this together. So if we see someone going astray, if we see someone living in sin, if we see someone putting a black eye on the things of God and the things of the gospel, we are called to step into that situation, to confront that person. Because let's be realistic, that's gonna be us too many times. And we need someone who's willing to do that for us, but we also need to be willing to do that for others. Now the question is, how do you do that? It'd be really great if Jesus gave us a place in the Bible that said, here's how you deal with these situations. And alas, he did. It's Matthew chapter 18. All right, back up to verse 10. 
Let's talk about, for a second, how Jesus sets this up. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. This is from last week's verses. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, one of these followers of Jesus, little disciples. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, God is concerned about his people. He's concerned about them. What do you think in verse 12? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So you have a story here, a parable about someone that's going astray into sin, and God says, no, it is a good thing that you leave others and you go after this one who is going astray, is going to the side. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay, let's make sure we set this situation up well with what's happening here. This is a situation of where you see someone who is a Christian going astray or going into sin. So we see there, it's your brother who sins. This is not, let's say up front so there's no confusion, this is not about dealing with all of the sins in your neighbor's lives who have nothing to do with the things of Jesus. You speak the gospel to them, you proclaim hope to them, you love them. This is dealing with relationships among people who are followers of Jesus. And we know from verses 10 to 14 that it's dealing with people who are going astray, people who are going into sin, who are going away from the Lord. But it also has to do with this idea of if your brother sins against you. Those words against you are not in all the early manuscripts of verse 15. There's a little reasoning why that might be, but we know for sure down to verse 21, Peter asked a question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? So that is one of the issues being dealt with. Christians going into sin, or specific situations when someone has sinned against you, another Christian has sinned against you. This is a part of the body, and we can't say, oh, I just don't care about that person, because when one part of the body is struggling, everybody is impacted by that. And so when we see someone living in sin, we don't say, oh, just let them go and do their own thing. We say, no, this, is, this affects all of us. This is about another brother. So we don't speak to them like Simon Cowell speaks to the participants on, on his shows where you're just, I'm going to be critical of you and I'm going to beat you up. It's, you're not a judge and you're not a parental figure. You don't speak condescendingly to someone in this situation. You speak as a sibling as a brother or sister, someone who needs to call out something that they see is not right in this situation. So we speak in that way to one another. Lord knows we don't need a bunch of moral police running around. We need people who see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and who are willing to respond to that, who are willing to act on that. Let's also admit up front, these hard conversations goes so much better when you already have a relationship with that person in place. When you've already built up some relational capital and some goodwill. You go up to somebody that you don't know well and you start to speak into their life, yeah, they're, they're probably gonna bow up at you. They're probably gonna be pretty, pretty defensive. 
You go up to somebody who is a close brother or sister in the faith and you speak to them, oftentimes, oftentimes, that conversation goes, goes a little bit better. Now, it's if your brother sins. Notice, we are not dealing with opinions. We are not dealing with traditions. We are not dealing with preferences here. We're dealing with sin. So this is a different conversation than I don't like when person X does that or I don't agree with person Y about this. That, that's a conversation to have, but right here what we're talking about is when you see someone living in sin, not someone living as coolly as I do. <laughs> like that's, that's different. We want people to follow Jesus, not look like us. And so we're dealing with issues of sin in this situation. So when you see that your brother sins, you go and tell him. <laughs> you don't post about it on Facebook. You don't text everybody around you. You don't share it with other people. You go and you speak to that person about the situation that you see. You go to them and you speak candidly, directly, but, but appropriately. In Scripture, don't forget this, in Scripture, Satan is described as an accuser of the brethren, an accuser of God's people. Don't do Satan's work for him. You're not going to accuse and belittle and beat up on somebody in this situation. You're going to speak with the purpose of restoring that person, leading that person to holiness. So we're not going in in an accusatory, judgmental, condescending way. You're going in as someone who immensely, deeply loves that person that you're going in to interact with. You're going because you believe that this is important for the body and it's crucial that this person sees. Oftentimes, we don't smell our own smell. <laughs> we don't smell our own odor. We live around it and then somebody comes around us or comes into our house and says, oh, did you know it sneaks, stinks around here? They're like, ah, no, I live here all the time. I don't recognize this. I, I live with this smell all the time. It takes someone stepping in, giving us a perspective we wouldn't have otherwise to see that something needs to happen here. This takes deep humility. Deep humility. Remember Matthew chapter 7, verse 1? That before you go and worry about the speck in your brother's eye, you want to think about the log that's sticking out of your own eye. And so sometimes we think, man, I don't need to talk to somebody else about their problems because I've got a hundred problems myself. If that's your thought, so here, let me set that up again so I don't cause confusion. Some people think, I don't need to speak to that other person about their sin or their struggle because I have a lot of struggles myself. If that's your thought, you're in exactly the right place to speak to someone else because you're humbly aware of your own brokenness. The person who doesn't need to be speaking to us is the person who thinks they have it all together, who thinks that they know that everything is right. That's the person you don't want to hear from. The person you're willing to hear from is the one who understands their own brokenness, who comes humbly, who comes to you and you know that they care for you. There's some beautiful proverbs about this. If you are not in the habit of memorizing scripture or maybe putting scripture on your mirror or somewhere in your car or maybe in your book bag, something like that, let me just suggest these two verses for this week. 
put these verses in front of you and, and ask the Lord to use them in your life. Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens, uh, listen should have an S there, sorry. The ear that listens to life-giving correction will dwell among the wise. I love that phrase, life-giving correction. We think of correction as a bad thing. Correction can be life-giving, according to the book of Proverbs. And then one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. If someone never speaks to you directly, if someone never provides a tough word, they're probably not really your friend. They may be closer to your enemy. Now, this illustration never helped me when I was actually in school, but this was the illustration we would use, that if the coach never yells at you or gets onto you, it means that coach thinks you have no hope. But if the coach yells at you and is always trying to provide correction, that means you never, they actually care for you. That never makes you feel better in the moment, but that's what we were always told. Um, but this is the idea. How does this work? How does this work up here? This works because a friend loves at all times. A friend loves you when life is going well, and a friend loves you when your life is going the wrong direction, and they step in and say, hey, you need to pay attention to this. You need to see what you're being, getting close to doing. Candor, humility, trust. Ah, oh, I love this phrase here. When you can go to someone and you can say, I am with you and I am for you. What I'm going to say to you is hard. It may hurt our friendship right now, but I need you to hear, I am with you and I am for you. And when you provide this type of uh, interaction, this confrontation, know that it's going to require feedback. You're going to have to ask clarifying questions. You're going to have to follow up with, with someone because hear me out on this. This is so important. You go and you confront someone about something in their life. Nine times out of ten, what happens in that situation is Satan tries to twist those words. <laughs> or let's just, let's do it another way. Let's turn it back on ourselves because we know how this works personally. Somebody comes and they confront you about something. You know what you oftentimes do? And I know this because this is what I do. I twist their words in my head. Oh, they don't like me. They hate me. They don't know the situation. They don't care about me. And what we do, we take what someone tried to speak into our lives, and before we know it, we've twisted that bit of truth into a lie, and so now that relationship was damaged, and now we're going even further away from the things of the Lord. These type of things, they require feedback. They require follow-up. They require trust. They require that we are in this together. But what if that person doesn't listen to you when you go to them? Here's what happens next. Verse 16. Jesus says, But if that person does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you confront someone about a sin that you see, about a way that they're being divisive in the church, or a way that their life is hypocritical and putting a black eye on the things of God. You confront somebody about that and they don't respond well. They don't change. They show no repentance. What do you do? You go back with a small group of people, not to embarrass them, but to emphasize how important this is. 
And when you go back with other people, here's what sometimes happens. And parents, grandparents, you know how this works. Okay, so as a parent, you tell your children, you should do X, and they don't listen. Random person over here comes in and tells your children, hey, you should do this. And they're like, well, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard. I will do that. I said the same exact thing, and you didn't listen to me, but you listened to this other person over here. Sometimes hearing the same thing from a different person will make something click in our minds. We didn't receive it well from the first person, but when somebody else comes and says it, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do see I'm out of line here. And so that group, they provide emphasis. They provide a weight. They come to provide collective wisdom. They're witnesses of what's going on in this situation. Because here's the other thing. Let's not miss this. Play out this scenario with me for just a second. You see someone living in what you think is a sin, and you go and confront them. They don't respond well. You go back with a group of people, and this group of people you took says, hey, I don't think they were the problem. I think you're the problem. You think they're living in sin. You're just caught off guard because that's your opinion and your tradition, and they're actually doing just fine. Man, collective wisdom is a good thing. The fact that it's not left up to just one of us to make these decisions about whether someone is living in a way that honors the Lord, that we have witnesses, we have collective wisdom that comes around us. Do not miss the gift in your life of a group of friends who are willing to call you on things. There is no greater gift in your life than a, gift, a group of friends who are willing to call you on your complacency and your apathy and your sinfulness and those friends who you know care about you and love you, but they're willing to speak into your life. And that's one of the greatest gifts we can ever have as followers of Jesus. What if you don't respond to that group of friends? Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to that group, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So tell it to the church. If, if you go to someone one-on-one, they don't respond. You go with a small group, they don't respond. You bring it before the word here in Matthew that means the assembly, the gathering of the congregation. This is why it is so important to be a part of a local church. This is why it's so important to be a part of a local church. When you are between churches, and there's a hundred reasons why that might be the case. But when you're between churches, it's easier to justify sin. It's easier just to let things float. You don't talk to the previous group, and you're not connected to a new group. And, and it's, a, it's a dangerous place for your soul. And I, and I don't say that in a condemning way or a guilt-inducing way. Just be very careful when you find yourself in between churches that you're not held accountable. You're not, you don't have somebody watching over your soul. And when you are a part of a church, don't hide one of the greatest gifts of being part of a church is that you would have people who watch over your soul, people who want to keep you accountable, people who care for you. We do a good job meeting physical needs, caring for one another physically, but we have to care for one another spiritually. We have to be willing to have conversations. We have to be willing to be candid in a caring way. We gather together as a congregation. Notice here, it's the congregation, not the church leaders. It's the group of Christians, the whole group being called together to address the situation. What role do 
leaders play in this type of situation? Two roles that leaders play in this situation. Number one, leaders should be models of this. In other words, leaders should be models first of, of people speaking into their lives. There is nothing about a title or being on a platform that prevents me from receiving candid correction from a brother or sister in Christ. We're not walled off from that. Now, there are certain protections given in 1 Timothy 5 when false accusations come. There's, there's protections given in Scripture. But as a leader, we should be models for receiving feedback, for receiving corrections, for having sp- someone speak in, into our lives. And we're desperate for that feedback. We want, it, we want that with our jobs, but not just with our jobs. We want that with our souls, with our character, with our lives that people are speaking into it. And then we're also models of being willing to speak hard things into someone's life. When you're a leader at work, all it means to be a leader is you have the last 5% of conversations that no one else is willing to have, or you're forced to have the last 5% of conversations that no one else is willing to have, that you do those things. Here's the other thing that leadership in a church should do for you. Based on these verses right here in Matthew 18, the job of the leaders is to teach and to train the congregation to do this work among themselves 24-7. So if we are teaching God's word, if we are building up disciples, if we're creating a healthy church culture, we're doing that so that 24-7 you're able to do the work of ministry that Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, that you feel compelled to live together as a church, which means there's no just coming to sit and watch there's no just kind of riding the coattails. No, like we're in this together because of the mission that God has called us to. And what happens at that fourth step? Notice that. So the fourth step, if they refuse to listen to the church, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Man, this is a neat phrase here, okay? It's a two-sided phrase. In one sense, that person is excluded, Now, 1 Corinthians 5 does much more with this concept. Here, it's just about pastoring. It's about dealing with this situation, less about church discipline. But but there is an exclusion. But here's the amazing thing. In the Gospel of Matthew, up to this point, how has Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors? Has he stayed away from them? No way. He's brought the Gospel ministry right to where they are, but not as those of the people of God, but as those who need to be made the people of God. Hear me carefully. You go to confront someone, and they don't want anything to do with your rebuke. You take a small group. They don't care anything about hearing from that small group. You come before the church, and we deal with it as a congregation. That person shows no repentance, no desire to live for the Lord. What do we do now? We share the gospel with that person with everything we have in hopes that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we respond to that person. No longer as an insider, but as one who desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus. You say, Owen, couldn't this be abused? Absolutely. It could also be ignored. How do we make sure it's not abused? Look at the next verse. Here's how we make sure this is not abused. Verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, whatever you agree on. Now this is is Matthew 16 language that was originally given to Peter, now given to the church, which is a good reason we don't see Peter as as a pope figure because what was said to Peter in Matthew 16 is now given to the whole church here in Matthew 18. 
Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, what you declare here on earth as being holy and in keeping with the way of God should match what is true in heaven. This is the Lord's Prayer type of idea that that we would see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to declare things not of this earth, but things that match the way of heaven. Verse 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So this is God's work that's happening here when, when the church gathers together. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That might be a verse that you know if you've grown up in church. Where two or three are gathered, there I am among them. What we have the presence of Jesus. We don't always remember that that idea is connected here to how we approach people who are living in sin. Those who are going away from the things of God. That when we are gathered together, we're not just doing human work, but Jesus himself is at work in that type of situation. But how do we respond? Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Lord, this is going to be a lot of work. I didn't know I signed up for this. Like, is, is seven times enough? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells him a story. He tells him a story about a master who was going to call the debts of his servant. And there was a servant who owed 10,000 talents. Kids, think of millions and millions and millions of dollars that this servant owed the master. And the servant came in and said, have patience with me and I'll pay this. He couldn't pay it. He couldn't pay it in a lifetime. He owed so much debt, which some of you may say, I feel that weight. I feel that pain. I have this debt. There's no way I could ever pay it. And the master said, well, go and throw him in jail and sell all that he has in order to begin to pay this debt. But, but he pleads with the master, and it says that the master has pity on him. And he f- releases him, and he forgives the debt. Well, this guy goes out, And as he goes out on the street, he sees someone who owes him $100. And he goes up and he begins to choke this person who owes him $100 and says, says, pay me now. And the person says, have patience with me and and I'll pay you. But this one who was just forgiven $10 million refuses to show mercy to the other servant who owes $100. And he has this other servant thrown into prison. Well, there's some people around who see this happening and it really bothers them. And they go back to the first master and they tell the master what happened. <laughs> and the master calls that first guy back in and says, hey, I forgave you. He calls him a wicked servant. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt when you pleaded with me. But you were not able to turn around and show mercy to this one who only owed $100 And then he throws the first guy into prison. Why does Jesus tell that story there? For everything in the church to work, we have to understand what it is to be forgiven by God, and we have to be able to extend that same forgiveness 
to others, that we care for one another. Here's how the kingdom of God comes together at this point. Here are the, the kingdom connections. The first kingdom connection is that we experience God's forgiveness in our lives through Jesus. If you're in here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, hear me out on this next part. If you're here this morning and you're uncertain about faith, you're uncertain about church, hear me out. One of your biggest gripes with faith and church probably has something to do with people being judgmental. And I hope you've heard this morning that that's not how we should operate, but we are called to draw one another to the things of the Lord, to draw one another to holiness. It matters how we act. It matters how we interact. Here's the other thing that I want you to hear this morning if you're not a follower of Jesus. There should not be a single Christian person who operates from a place of pride because our only hope comes in that Jesus paid for us a debt that we could never pay for ourselves. Every single person alive owes a debt that we could take lifetimes and never be able to pay back. But Jesus took that debt. He took that and he made the payment for us. So our hope to stand before the master is not what we've done, but what Jesus has done. And when you experience that type of forgiveness, you should be in a place to turn around and offer that forgiveness to others. That we desire the repentance and the forgiveness of people around us. And that final point, Emmaus, that we will fight for holiness as the church and we will speak the truth and love to one another. I don't know what God will lead us to do in the years ahead. I don't know what mission projects we'll be a part of. I don't know what buildings we may be able to build. I don't know what programs we might do. I don't know what the Lord will call us to do. But we will do that well. Because if we do that well internally, there will be a spiritual health that will take hold. There will be a culture of a ministry that will take hold. There will be relationships that will take hold that then will propel us to do whatever God calls us to do as a church. But we have to be willing to get that part right, to understand the forgiveness that God has shown us and to desire that for others. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I'm going to lead us in, in a time of prayer right now. We were really uncertain about kind of how our timing was going to work this morning. And so what we're going to do at this point is I'm going to lead this time of prayer. And then we're going to have the offering. And, and Pastor Jim is going to talk about a couple of mission things. And then you're going to be dismissed. But hear me out right now as your head's bowed and your eyes are closed. Now is the time to think about God's work in your life. Have you ever experienced God's forgiveness in your life? Are you trying to pay that back on your own? Are you unsure that there's a God who truly loves you and has provided payment for your sin? He wants to take that debt away. He wants to take that weight off you. And it happens when you trust in Jesus. That Jesus has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. Would you, in your heart right now, for a minute before 
we move out of this place, would you ask yourself this question? Is there anyone who I need to speak with because I've been sweeping things under the rug or I've been looking the other way or I've been unwilling to have the hard conversation? Or have you had that conversation and you need to get a couple of people to go and have that conversation? And I'm so ah, careful to say that. God, protect our church from a critical spirit. God, protect our church from defensiveness. Protect us from pettiness. God, build in this place a spiritual health that comes because we recognize what it is to be forgiven and we want to fight for holiness together so that you would use us in ways that go beyond anything we could ever imagine. God, we give ourselves to you. Emmaus, if you need to pray with someone this morning, if you come in here hurting and broken, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's something going on that people don't know about, and you need to pray, immediately after Jim dismisses us, I'll be here at the front. God, thank you for this time together. God, we celebrate this baptism that's happened this morning. We thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the gift of interacting as a church. God, I pray that your word would do a powerful work in our hearts in the days to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're helping with our offering, would you grab those plates and begin to pass those around, put those prayer cards in there, those guest cards in there, Watch this video, and then Pastor Jim is going to come up and say two or three things, and we'll be dismissed just in a moment. Let's watch this video right now. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias. Thank you so much. Thank you for packing shoeboxes. They really do change lives. Well, church family, as you can see, uh, we have several folks who have been already busy at uh, collecting Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes, and we want to say thank you to a church, to our church, of how you respond in incredible ways. Another element that we're going to be doing as a church family is we are actually collecting shoeboxes from other locations. And we will be loading semi-trucks, and uh, all of that's going to be taking place. Volunteers are going to be needed. You can uh, see uh, Brandy Dean for more information. Uh, but we're going to be loading trucks. And that weekend before uh, Thanksgiving, we'll be needing some folks to help uh, to load semi-trucks that uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday uh, before Thanksgiving. So want to let you know about that. Also want to let you know as a church family of an event that's coming up on Saturday, December the 7th, that we have the opportunity as a church family to host. Uh, this is with our local DHS office, and this is going to be actually for all of southern Oklahoma. It's an adoption uh, event, a foster and adoption event that's going to be taking place here 
Uh, 65, about 45 to 60 kids are going to be coming in, and uh, families that are interested in adoption can find out more information. They're going to get to meet kids, and we're going to be a part of helping to facilitate that, and we need help. We need uh, our youth are going to be helping to uh, uh, do games and all of that, and we need to be able to come alongside and work with them. But on that Saturday, December the 7th, we're needing volunteers and look forward to having you to, uh, to do that. And then finally, I want to ask you as a church family, to uh, pick up one of these food bags on your way out. Uh, and we're going to ask you to collect the items that are on this meal bag list. And we will be uh, collecting all of these uh, through uh, December the 8th and ask you to bring those back to the church with a, a, a gift of a $15 check or cash uh, for a turkey or ham at GFF. And then we're going to be passing these out on Sunday, December the 15th. As a church family, we're doing a church luncheon that day, and immediately following that, uh, we're going to be going out as a church family into our community, passing out these uh, meal bags for Christmas. So look forward to do that. Uh, God bless you. I hope you have a great day, and thanks for being here this morning.